This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can have what it says I can have. Today, I'm ready to receive the incorruptible, ever-living seed of the Word of God. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in my life. I'll never be the same again. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name, amen. Best shout ever. Remain standing as Miss Jody comes to read. Reading from Revelation 7, beginning at verse 9. And this, after this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands. And they were shouting with a great roar, Salvation comes from our God, who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living beings. And they fell before the throne with their faces to the ground and worshiped God. They sang, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength belong to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the 24 elders asked me, who are these who are clothed in white? Where did they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you are the one who knows. Then he said to me, These are the ones who died in the great tribulation. They have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb and made them white. That is why they stand in front of God's throne and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will give them shelter. They will never again be hungry or thirsty. They will never be scorched by the heat of the sun. For the lamb on the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of life-giving water. And God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Amen. Can you say amen to the reading of the word? You may be seated. Thank you so much for being part of our house today. Uh, in the middle of a teaching that's been on my heart about prayer... I want you to look at the last verse that Jody read. I want to kind of do an intro precursor of prayer. I'm trying to do it in a way that if you're new today, my heart was to show you how I went from being a skeptic about prayer to prayer being really part of my life. As I was growing up, prayer was very much real to me, as I shared last week, to my family, the things that were prayed. And as I got older, meaning college years, I questioned a lot because it didn't make sense to me that I could ask God for things and God would give it, but I would ask and I wouldn't get it. Or that God wanted me well and healed, but I would pray for healing and stay sick. Uh, God wanted us to have long life, but I had a lot of people that died young. And so I just couldn't validate what people told me God wanted for me versus what I would see in reality. I, I was, I want to say smart enough, but I tried to be wise enough to understand that I never wanted what I was in reality on earth versus what was told me God's will was for my life. 
to ever cause me not to love God. So I would say if you ask me, I always loved God. I mean, I loved Jesus with my whole heart. But even though I loved him with my whole heart, I still had some skepticisms about things like prayer. Uh, And I shared that journey, so you can listen to it last week. But this scripture rose in my heart because I think it really touches on what God wants out of us as humans. When I read that there's coming a time in the future where every tear will be wiped from our eyes, it does make me understand that obviously that's not quite true yet. There's still times we deal with that brings tears to our eyes. A sadness that happens, a tragedy that happens, a sickness, uh, a wife that divorces, a husband that leaves you. Uh, And so I think this one phrase in the book of Revelation does intimate that even though heaven has a plan for us, it might not always be reality for us. And how to bridge that gap between what heaven wants for Mark versus what Mark is experiencing because what I think God wants versus what I'm really living out are not matching. You told me, God, I'm supposed to be healed and by your stripes I'm healed, but my reality is I'm getting worse or I'm sick. Uh, The reality is that people tell me if I give, I will be blessed and I'm giving, but I'm going broke and going to have to sell stuff just to keep my house payment made. You tell me it pays to serve God and I'm trying, but my children are not serving God and I don't understand. You tell me you're good, but I don't see your goodness. So that that infrequent, that frequent uh, disillusionment between heaven's reality and my reality Heaven's reality is there's coming a time where we won't cry. Everything will work out. Everything will be perfect. Our emotional contentment will be at an all-time perfection. But this reads that somehow, in some way, there's still moments that bring tears to our eyes. That the journey I'm in is not a happy one. Now, the issue with God is when that time comes and I find myself in a moment of tears filling my eyes, I'm going to have to understand as a Christian, do I just stay here and pout my whole life, whine, poor pitiful me, you don't understand what I'm going through, my life is hell, I just don't get it, or is there an option for me that even when tears fill my eyes, that I learn how to, what we would call, press through, overcome. Is there a reality between the realities? Is there from, here's what God says of me, here's what I'm experiencing in this gap, is there a reality inside this gap that can keep me stable, where I'm not suicidal, I'm not bemoaning my earthly life, I'm, I'm not just cursing everything in my life, waiting on some magical moment to happen, which is how many people live. Uh, I just live begging, pleading God, asking God, the hell that I'm in, waiting on this fairy dust to hit my life, and then my life is perfectly okay. And then we go, wow, didn't God do a great thing for you? So I do at least want to start that I understand that just because I have tears in my eyes and just because things aren't going my way, and just because I got some bad news, and just because I faced a tragedy I didn't want to face, 
and just because my marriage is where I wish it wasn't and, and just because, 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 I have to understand that it's okay for me to cry, it's okay for me to have a tear, it's okay for me to have a thought, but I've got to shake myself out of that and say, I've not been left on this earth just to throw a pity party. And this is where prayer comes in. Prayer to me, my opinion, prayer to me is what fills the gap between the reality of heaven and the reality of Mark. When my reality is not his reality, prayer, the faith of prayer is given to me to help merge those. For thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Okay, so that's where we are. So I want to take you on a journey of how I went from, man, I'll pray for anything, super happy about prayer, to a skeptic. Good luck if it works. I hope it does. God's going to do what he's going to do anyway to a powerful, I truly believe, prayer works. So I want to take you on that journey today and just share with you my thoughts. So let's just jump into a scripture we looked at last week, Psalm 139.16. It, it lent itself to a lot of questions and a lot of text messages I got last week. And so I'll try to kind of answer some of that. Here it is. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. So this is really weird. Like it, it, it really just kind of plays with your mind that God has literally written out every day of Shiloh's life. Everything he's ever going to do from... Now he knows tomorrow, he knows what you're going to do Tuesday, he knows what I'm going to do tomorrow. And so in some strange way, when we read this verse out of the Bible, it lends itself that there's a book up there and God's written down every day of Mark Evans. So on Monday, Mark is going to get up and Mark is going to go get his Dunkin' Coffee. Uh, and then he will turn around because the Dunkin' Coffee tasted more like tea, he'll go to Starbucks He'll get to Starbucks, and as he always does, think this is really expensive coffee. I should have made my own. And so he, God writes all that down. And then if I'm a good Christian, I wake up and I do exactly what God wrote down until I trick him and get up and I'm late and I don't have time to go to Dunkin' and I didn't have time to go to Starbucks, so I just drank some almond milk and ran. And so God has to scratch everything out and go, oh, Mark, trick me. He got coffee today. But if he's God, I couldn't trick him because on that day, he would have already written down Mark got coffee instead, right? I mean, if that's the way it works, then God's already written everything down and I'm just a pawn in life and I just kind of do, he already knows what I'm going to do anyway. So maybe I can pray a prayer like I did last week. God, you already know what I'm going to do, so tell me and I'll just do that. But there's another way to think about this that Maybe it's not that God is writing down Bethany is going to wake up and go get donuts for Mark and coffee for her husband. Maybe it's more like that he just has a plan for her. And he's written that plan out. A plan of perfection, a plan of grace, a plan of favor, a plan of blessing. A plan where as a father he's laid out the journey of her life according to a plan of her future. And God lays all that out. Now, it may not be that it has every detail that she turned left on Ridge Road versus right on Ridge Road, but it has laid out the history 
of her or the history of her future. And I said that purposely. The history, meaning it's already written, of her future. She hasn't lived it yet. But that God writes that plan out. And I could deviate from it, I guess. But my deviation doesn't mean that God was wrong. It just may mean that I chose my plan over his plan. He's already written it for me. Now, with that being true, it lends itself to a question that came to me last week, and I figured I would answer it, and here's the question. The question is, if all of your days have already been recorded, what's the use of prayer? God's going to do what He's going to do anyway, Stevie. There's no reason to pray. He's just going to do it. Doesn't matter at all, Joey. Just... Wake up, God's God, God's in control. Whatever God wants to do, Ned, God's going to do. Which lends this question, I wrote it a little differently, probably more fits with people. Why pray if fate has already been determined? Why pray? I've even heard people say that about the election, right? We're in the middle of it right now. Oh, I pray. I mean, it's already been determined. Whoever God wants in, God will put them in. God wants Trump in, it'll be Trump. God wants Biden in, it'll be Biden. Daniel 2 said God just puts whoever God wants in. Well, that's great because it just means for me, there's nothing for me to do. God's in charge. Back off. Let God be God and just deal with it. So there's that mentality. Just deal with it. God's doing. But if you've hung out here on earth very long, right now we are in a spiritual battle. Why would, why would this, if, if it's already been determined, why pray? And here's the short answer. Because God told you to pray. You pray because he said pray. You, you don't pray because he's already predetermined or not predetermined. You just pray because Jesus said when you pray, pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. All through the Bible, prayer is just a normal part of a spiritual journey like it's assumed. You just pray, Quinn. Why pray? Because God said to pray. But what if my prayers don't get answered? Get over it. He just said pray, so pray. And so I just pray. Well, here's the weird thing. The God who created the universe, who knows all, who has the ability to do whatever he wants to do on the planet he made, has said of you, I would like you to enter into that and pray. And then I say, why? You know good and well you're going to do what you do anyway. And so now you've got to know in heaven it's confusing right now. Like I'm almost certain that the Father God is like, why did I ever ask these people to pray? Oh, God, if you've ever done anything, now is the time. They're coming against us, Lord. They're removing Trump. We need you to keep Trump in office, God. He's the man of the hour. He loves your people, Israel. He's the Savior. He's going to keep our Second Amendment. Then on the other side, Lord, we just ask you to remove that ill-gotten racist homophobe who tweaks too much and get him out, Lord. And then this side over here, Lord, I don't know how anybody could 
be a Christian and vote for Biden. Oh, the whole plan is he believes in abortion. How could a Christian vote for a Democrat that believes in abortion? Oh, my God, Lord, all of these people over here, they're the Republicans that don't understand what we're going through. And Lord Jesus, and you just know God's up there going, why did I ever tell him to pray? <laughs> Jesus. I got people who are for Biden praying I do something about Trump and people for Trump praying I do something. I got people praying I get rid of guns and people praying I keep the guns. Oh, people ask me to bless Israel and bless Palestine. Oh, God. Oh, well, never mind. Oh, me. Oh, me. Right here, think God's up there like, what, what did I do? Somebody asked me a question. They said, Mark, do you think Jesus is coming soon? And my answer was no. Why would he come back and get a group of kids like this? <laughs> He's been up there 2,000 years working on his house. You think he wants to bring us up to mess it up? He's like, no, I'm going to let him chill for another thousand years and just settle it out. I really think he's up there like, Dad, please don't maybe get him yet. Not yet. Please not yet, Dad. They're going to mess everything up. I don't know if that's theologically correct, but it did make me wonder if God's probably not ready to get us quite yet. But really, how we use prayer. One count praying that God would remove, another count praying that God would put in, another count praying against all of this, another count praying against votes that have been stolen, guns, no guns, constitution, no constitution, health care, no health care, freedom, not freedom, mass, no mass, COVID bombarding heaven. And we go, well, well then who's right? Who wins? Well, the people that win are the people that have more spirituality, the people that know more Bible. Maybe that's how it is. If I know more Bible, maybe if I fast, maybe if this camp fasts more than this camp, then God has to answer because we fasted. Or maybe we should blow a shofar. If we blow a shofar, that might break down heaven. Or maybe if we call a worship night and dance around a lot and shout and stomp our feet, maybe we could make God do what we want God to do. And so really, I mean, it, it really does lend itself to God's going to, God's God. It doesn't matter what we do. God's just going to do what he wants to do. And so it does lend itself that this whole thing of fate just kind of takes me out of the mix. And then my prayers just become, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep if I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to keep, amen. Or God is great, God is good, let us thank him. That, that's kind of what my prayer life, or fix me, help me, bless me becomes my prayer. My life's terrible, please help me. So really, fate is fate, but prayer turns more into just victimization's prayers. Everything that's broken in my life, I want the magical God to fix it all. And so you really wonder, I guess you can see how I got so skeptical when certain groups are praying this and other groups are praying that and prophets are prophesying this. And you're like, so what does God do? Like, and so it's easy just to get skeptical here. But I, I, had, to, I had to learn how to bring myself out of skepticism and land into a place of understanding why would the God of heaven remotely ask me as a human to enter the equation and pray? 
And here's the scripture that came to my mind. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And then it just became clear. I don't have a prayer life so my prayers get answered. I don't have a prayer life so God does my agenda versus his agenda, puts my candidate in versus somebody else's candidate. I pray because there's an enemy trying to devour everything God wants to do on planet earth. Heaven has a will. Heaven would come to earth. And there, in a weird way, in the middle of heaven coming to earth, there is a realm of the unseen that works to destroy everything God would desire to do on this planet. And it's not connected to Trump or Biden or a human. It is a realm of darkness of an unseen world that works itself to stop and devour everything God would ever want to do. And so we ask, why pray if God is God? I pray because there is an enemy trying to devour everything God wants to do. So we could say, well, God's going to do what God's going to do. And I say, yeah, he's God. But also from that attitude of he's going to do what he's going to do, I also have a devil that is going, oh, no, he's not going to do a thing on planet Earth because I'm going to devour, steal it, kill it, and destroy it. And everything that the Creator attempts to do on planet Earth, Victoria Kate, I am going to destroy it. And so what does God do? God comes down and says, Vinny, I want to invite you into something. Okay, God, what? I want to invite you into a war. I want to invite you into battle. I want to invite you into being part of this, this system of war between two kingdoms. And I need you to be a part, Mark. I need you to come into this thing and I'm inviting you into it because I need you to stand with me against the enemy who's trying to destroy everything I want to do on earth. And then we could say, well, if he's God, why doesn't he just come and do something about it? And we would say, he did. He came and died on a cross. Jesus Christ stripped the devil of every authority he had. And then you say, well, then it shouldn't be a problem then. And we say it is a problem because even though sin and the devil has been defeated, God is here, we are here, and there's still an enemy working for a season. We still get tears in our eyes. We still have bad days. We still have days where things don't go. And in that, God says, pray. Be alert. Don't fall asleep. There's an enemy that wants to devour you. So here's the reality. There's a reality and there's a struggle. The reality of prayer is that there is an enemy that desires to rob you of every plan, place, 
and hope that God has for you. It would be easy for Mark just to go, well, God's going to do what God wants to do, so I'll just let him, and then I'll just suck it up and get along for the ride, and case hurrah, hurrah, whatever will be, will be. That's, a cop, that's an easy cop-out for me. Just grit your teeth and deal with it. Try to outlast the hell, which is a victim mentality, or I could say rather than just grit your teeth, outlast it, and hopefully overcome it, I actually say there's an enemy trying to rob me And then therefore, I'm going to have to pray so that I make sure the plan, plan, place, and hope of God comes to me. And I'll share how that works in a minute. Here's the struggle. And this is a real one. It was for me. Hope is hard to maintain when you're trying to believe God against all hope. It's hard down here on the earth where tears fill our eyes to stay hopeful when things just aren't going well for me. I know it's easy for somebody to point a finger and go, well, just trust the Lord, Greg. They're like, yeah, okay. But they're not about to come take your house or your wife has not filed for divorce, so thank you for telling me to trust him. So we do know that there are times where life on earth is not gelling with life and plans in heaven and it can get really hopeless feeling. And tears are filling my eyes. And all I would love to encourage you with today is, rather than just going, God will do whatever God wants to do, suck it up and just try to get through this hell, prayer has been given to me so I can overcome. While I'm here on the earth. So here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to give you four things that I've learned personally that have helped me when... Heaven and earth, my earth, are just not gelling. I'm believing for healing, but I'm sick. He says, by, my, by his stripes I'm healed, but I'm not healed. He says that he wants to bless me and provide, but I'm not being provided for. I feel like I'm losing it. He says he's a God of peace, but I'm literally living very anxious. So I do know there's this gap. And... I feel like the space between the two realities is only possible through prayer. We would say, if you're Pentecostal, to press through, to pray it out. So I want to walk you through the plan of how Mark has... Robin and I have raised four girls. We've made it through some bitter tears. We've been married 30 years together. We've made it through some tough times. There have been times I've felt like me and God are best friends, and there's been times I've wondered where he's at. There have been times I've felt very spiritual and like God would be proud of me, and times I've felt very unspiritual, like I don't know why he even chose me. But in all of that, I've learned how to thread the needle of don't let, watch now, don't let this reality of my earth become my defining moment. My earth may be going a little crazy right now, but there is a God of heaven that is a peace giver, health giver, life giver, and hope giver. And prayer is going to thread that needle. So let me walk you through it. Number one, here's the plan. There's going to be four of them, and they'll be very brief. It'll help you think it through. When tears are filling your eyes, you just got to stand firm. 
I'll just say it this way, my own, pouting gets you nowhere. Nowhere. And I was a professional at pouting. I have degrees in pouting. It doesn't go my way. I pout, I whine, I kick the dirt. Poor pitiful me. I hang my head. Spirit of Eeyore comes over me. Oh, no. We'll never make it. Right? Stand firm. Hold on. Don't give up. Don't, don't start pouting and cursing yourself. Stand your ground. Ephesians 6. Here's the scripture. Put on all of God's armor. Why would God want me to put on armor if there's no battle? If there was no devil around, it should say this. Put on your favorite PJs and chill. But that's not what God said. And you would think he would say that if Jesus conquered everything on the cross, I should be able to put on my PJs, get some hot chocolate, and watch some weird Hallmark Christmas movie and enjoy life. Not with God. Put on my armor. And then you'll be able to stand firm. In other words, there are times when tears fill your eyes, you got to suck it up, take your jammies off, and do war. Yes, it may not be going well for you. Yes, things may suck right now in the life of your earthly realm. But dust yourself off, put on the armor of God, and stand firm. Against what? The strategies of the devil. And that even tells me something. Why pray? If God's in charge, why pray? Because there's an enemy strategizing. Like if you think he's a pitchfork, horned, red, beady-eyed character in a nice little tight-fitting suit, you have been sold a bill of goods. He is the most brilliant created being that has ever been made by God, called Lucifer, a.k.a. the devil, a.k.a. Satan, a.k.a. the dragon. Kind of sounds like we're in some alternate world. But that devil who's trying to devour you, weird, is strategizing. I've been watching Carmelo... For all, not 70 years almost, I know everything that ticks him off. I know exactly what buttons to push. Matter of fact, let me go through my Rolodex. Okay, ooh, there's Mark. Let me pull him out. Oh, look at this. What's that, Lucifer? Yeah, this is a little card I keep on Mark. This is all the stuff that irritates him, all the stuff that gets on his gourd, all the stuff that you can push his buttons. I've been strategizing how to totally defeat him and get him suicidal and devour his life and make him feel like he's worthless. I think I got a good strategy. Okay, what is it? Okay, come here. Oh, I like it. And then in some weird way, my life takes a turn for the worse because the strategies begin to work. The buttons begin to get pushed. The thoughts begin to come. Where's God when I need him? Why isn't God here? Where is God? The strategies of the devil. If you think you're just waking up and having bad luck, you have missed the opportunity of kingdom life 
there is a spirit world that is air against us at all times working to work a strategy against you to rob you of all life, all joy, all hope, all peace, destroy your marriage, destroy your children, destroy your future, make you to the point that you have nothing but hopelessness. You question who God is, where is God, was I a failure, is he a failure? The strategies of the devil. And the strategies are we're not fighting against flesh and blood, but rulers, evil spirits. When you think another human is your problem, you've already bought into the lie. There is no other problem humanity can throw at you. It's all coming from an unseen world, a strategizing. And have you ever noticed how brilliant the devil is at strategizing? Like, just, I'm just going to throw it to you. You put a nice long marijuana joint in front of me. Let's say this long. And you sit it there. <laughs> Thank you, Cheech and Chong. You put it there. And you say, man, Mark, there it is. You have a bad day. You smoke that thing. It's going to take the edge off. It's all yours. And, and literally, it could sit in my office 40 years. I have zero lust for that. There's nothing about that I want. Nothing. If you bought two dozen donuts <laughs> and you threw those on my desk and said, Mark, if you have a bad day, break, right there, I'd eat all of them. Because strategies are different for all of us. What ticks you off doesn't tick me off. What bothers you doesn't bother me. What you go for lust-wise, I don't go for lust-wise. But I guarantee you the strategizer knows. He knows what to lure you with. He knows what to frustrate you with. He knows if you like the boys looking at you. He knows what you think when you look in the mirror at your body. He knows how to fish you in. He's a strategizer. You have to stand firm against that. Number two, this I flunked the test. Don't waver. Jesus, I was a professional waverer. Waver means simply this. It's not even that it's ungodly feeling. It feels pretty godly. But wavering is one day it's opinion A, Next day, it's opinion B. Waver is not demonic. It's just going back and forth between two opinions. Okay, I think I'm going to trust God today. Oh, God, I'm tired of waiting on him. I better just take hold of myself. It's not even that it feels ungodly. It's just a going back and forth. All right, today's the day. Ooh, today is the day. I'm dying to this lust once and for all. One o'clock comes around. Okay, lust is back. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going for it. Right? It's, it's the back and forth. It's the, it's the seesaw. I'm going to trust the Lord. Yeah, maybe not. Okay, this is it. This is my real season to serve him. I'm going for it. I'm doing all I can. Yeah, probably not. I just got too much going on. It's a seesaw. All right? Now, that's what waver means. If we were really spiritual, wavering wouldn't even be a problem. But because we've been given these glorious things called human bodies and earthly minds, wavering tends to become a big problem because feelings get involved. What if? 
For those of you that may not know the story of our family, my brother and his wife and child, they were hit head on by a drunk driver. And we got the telephone call. We were in Orlando. He was in Alabama. We got the telephone call. My mother flew to Birmingham or to Fort Payne to see my brother. My brother went through surgery very well, came out of surgery well, but somewhere in uh, post-op. So surgery went great. They put his leg back together. He's good. Somewhere in post-op, the recovery, my brother coded. Now, I don't know how long, but he quit breathing. His heart stopped. And by the time they got in there and revived him and my mother got to the hospital, the doctor came out and said, Mrs. Evans, uh, we just want you to know that your son is probably going to be a vegetable for the rest of his life. Uh, we don't for, ever see him coming off of the feeding tubes. Uh, you just, I guess in a way you just might as well get used to it. This is what you're dealing with. Well, how many of you know when a mother gets that kind of news for a son, wavering is easy? Well, the doctor said, my son will be a vegetable. Well, the doctor said, I love what my mother did. She went into a prayer room and began to pray and said, God, you know what's going to happen with my son. Tell me what you see, and I'll believe it. And God gave her a scripture, and as soon as she got the scripture, she went to war. And my brother's perfectly healthy to this day. So, so there, yeah. So there are times where wavering seems valid and justifiable to waver. I will just tell you that when earthly life is competing with heavenly life, wavering is critical. Even if you can justify why you're wavering, it's critical. Here's why. James 1. But when you ask him prayer, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver. For a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that's blown and tossed by the wind. Such people, meaning those that waver, should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world and they are unstable in everything they do. Do you see the power of the enemy to strategize wavering? If the enemy can strategize wavering, how much do you get from God when you waver? Nothing. Nothing. Don't blame it on the devil. It's your wavering. So if you go back and forth between, I'm going to really trust God, maybe not. Oh, no, God's got this. I don't think he does. And you go back and forth. The Bible says you get nothing, not, you get nothing from God. Meaning God has the answer, but he's like, yeah, not right now. Well, God, why don't you give it to him? Uh, because he, he goes, he's going back and forth. One minute he says me, next minute he says himself. So I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm just going to hold on to this until Mark makes his mind up. Well, God, that seems so unfair. Just lavish it on him and then he won't even need. No, I need him to understand my loving faithfulness. I need him to know he can trust me regardless. And as long as he goes back and forth, he's not going to get anything yet. Now, that seems really unfair because you would think in a battle, God would just give it to me without me even asking. But there is a loyalty that he's looking for that will bring you a stability. 
I've got to hold on to this thing. I've got to stand firm. I've got to get ready for war. And I've got to make my mind up. So I don't know who that's for today. But it's going to be very hard to go back and forth, save the marriage, leave the marriage, stop this, quit. You're just going to have to make your mind up. What are you believing for? Number three. You've got to believe you will become. Not the problem, but the promise. I learned this uh, over time. It takes you a while because number three is much more of a process rather than a mentality. Stand firm, don't waver, pretty much just mentalities. Make your mind up, stand firm, don't go back and forth. But believing you will become is a process of learning how to let heaven become your reality and that kind of comes over time. The problem with time is if it takes too much time, I start wavering. And then when I waver, it's hard to stand firm and then I start trusting myself. So when we say believe what you believe you will become, you'll become the promise, what God says, it intimates that there is this season of tears and time that get involved. And if I'm not careful in the middle of that becoming and I lose hope, I may start to waver and, and then the process just gets worse. Here's a scripture for you, Romans 4. Even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping believing that he would become the father of many nations for God had said to him. Abraham had to make his mind up that he would become what God said. He had to believe he would become. I want to share a story about my daughter Victoria Kate that in high school, shortly out of high school, she was going to nursing school in college and... Um, I was at work, I believe, that day, and she sent me a text and said, Dad, I just want you to know I've really messed up. I don't really know what that means, but I'm like, okay, that's a weird text. Well, by the time I got home, Victoria Kate's sitting with her mom in her bedroom with her sisters. All of them are crying. Welcome to life with all girls. They're all crying. I walk upstairs to Victoria Kate's room, and she begins to uh, tell on herself. I've done things that I shouldn't have done. I've lived in ways I shouldn't have lived. And I'm repenting and I'm sorry. I'm telling on myself, I don't want to do this anymore. And so mom and I and sisters gathered around Victoria Kate. We loved on her and talked her through it. But I love something she did that I would encourage you, if you're in a situation like this, to try it is the next day I come home from work after we had talked her through it and helped her and she's cried some tears and we've cried some tears. I came home and I go up to her room to bless her because I try to bless my girls every night. And when I got up there, her closet was cleared out. And in her closet was a pillow, a, several blankets. And I'm like, honey, what are you doing? And she says, I'm making a place I can go and meet with God and pray. And I was like, that's awesome. I didn't ask her to do it. And so for about two months, my daughter slept on the floor in her closet with a Sharpie marker, a Bible, and a pillow. And she wrote scriptures all over the wall in a Sharpie marker. And she wrote what she believed God said about her in a Sharpie marker. And she wrote scriptures. 
And I would go up there at night and she would be in this little closet curled up under a blanket with a pillow and a Bible and a journal with scriptures all over the wall. What is she doing? She's learning that if she wants to become something that God wants, she has to battle. You don't just lay in bed and pout and feel bad about it. And I never told her to do it. I guess there was just something in her that thought if I'm ever going to be who God wants me to be, then I got to quit all the blaming and pouting and whatever. I got to take the jammies off and put my armor on and I got to clean my closet out if it means cleaning my closet. And for two months or more, I'm going to sleep on the floor with a journal and a Bible, listening to worship music, doing warfare because I'm going to overcome. In other words, I'm going to become everything God told me I could be rather than beating myself up about what I am right now. And that warfare of she's up here today leading worship, that warfare, you saw a girl today standing here leading worship, but you didn't see the girl in a closet crying bitter tears who's fighting this battle to become everything God wants her to become. She doesn't become it drinking Starbucks. She doesn't become it listening to her favorite playlist. She doesn't become it running around with all of her friends, binging on Netflix, eating buttered popcorn, though that is awesomely romantic at times. It doesn't get you where God wants you to be. Sometimes you have to be so desperate you clean out your closet, throw a pillow down, and sleep there for two months until you become everything God told you you could be. And you don't have to sit there and become all of your bitterness, all of your failures, all of your regrets, all the poor pitiful me, but I will become who God said I could become. Why pray, Victoria K? Because I'm going to become everything God said I could become rather than who I think I am right now and what I feel about myself right now. I will become everything God told me to become. Well, honey, how are you going to do it? Are you going to go to get a different degree in school? No. I'm going to clear my closet out and I'm going to do war. Now, I don't know who that was for, but I'll just tell you, sometimes jammy living's got to go and you just got to get in a battle in war. And you got to believe and you got to stand firm. You got to create a space where you can do that war and you hold on and you don't waver. Number four, after you learn to become... And this is critical. You just got to hold on to it is written. Man, this is what God said about me. And this is what's going to happen to me. And I believe that nothing I think will ever overcome what the Bible says about me. Which means this, you're just going to have to get the Bible out to be part of your prayer life. Not just a prayer, a, a playlist of worship music. You need to get the Bible out and merge it with your prayer life. The Bible becomes part of my prayer life. Listen to what Jesus said, Matthew chapter 4. Jesus, during that time, what time? It's a time of tears. He's in the wilderness. He hasn't eaten for 40 days. And lo and behold, look who comes to him. The devil who has come to strategize. If you want to read the story, you'll see it. Hey, you're hungry? Why don't you do this? He's strategizing. He's going to devour Jesus. He's going to destroy Jesus. And his goal is to get Jesus not to stand firm. His goal is to get Jesus to waver if 
You really are the Son of God. There's the waver moment. If the moment I can throw the if into the equation of your earth, here's what heaven says, but if the moment I can get you to hold on to an if, I will cause you to not become what God wants, but, but what you think. Number two, if I can get you to stick with if long enough, not only will you start thinking what you think is more important than God, you will begin to waver. And if I can keep the if going long enough, not only will you waver, you'll waver, you won't stand firm. And once I get you wavering and not standing firm, yeah, you're no threat to me at all as your enemy. So what did Jesus do? But Jesus told him, no. The scriptures say. King James says it this way. It is written. I, if I could download one thing, if Jesus was coming back tomorrow and I could download one thing to you, it would be there's no greater way to live than learning how to go, it is written. I don't care how I feel, what I think, it is written. All the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus. I'm going to believe that. Himself took my infirmities and bore my sicknesses and by his stripes I'm healed. Then there you go. And I've had people ask me, well, why do you pray for people to get well and they don't get well? Does that bother you? And I'm like, bother me? Jesus told me to pray for sick people. So I'm just going to pray for sick people. Well, what if they don't get healed? That's not up to me. I just have to. He told me to pray for them. I'm going to pray for them. Well, if God's going to put whoever he wants as president, why pray? Because God told me to pray. I'm going to do what the scriptures tell me to do. And that's how you hold on in this period of time between, man, what God wants for me versus where I'm at. I've got to stand firm on it is written. I've got to hold on to it is written and not waver. I've got to make sure that I become what is written. So here's how I battle. Not long ago, uh, our family was going through something, and I, I went on a prayer walk. Now, just to, I'll end with this. My prayer walks are not that spiritual. I don't want you to think they're overly spiritual. Much of my time is just breathing. I go, God, get me up this hill. But when I have the breath, <laughs> when I have enough breath to talk, I talk to him. And so we were going through something, and I said, God, and this is how simple it is. I said, God, I, I just want you to talk to me and tell me what I need to do, and I'll do it. I'm walking down the road. I keep my phone with me, and I, I just pull it out. I have a Bible out. makes it real easy. I pull out my Bible out, and as I'm praying, God, I know in these 66 books of the Bible that you'll, you'll speak to me something. And so as I'm walking... I hear, read Psalm 24. Well, the moment I hear that, read Psalm 24, just to help you, I ain't got a clue what Psalm 24 is about. But thank God, I got a, I got a Bible, I can just open it and read it. So I just opened it and read it, and this is what I read. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord invincible in battle. And as soon as I read that, every bit of potential doubt and wavering just got sucked up out of my life. 
And I just all of a sudden thought, my God, he's invincible in battle. This is not even my battle. This is the Lord's battle. And you can ask my kids, not once since that day on that prayer walk three months ago has Mark Evans ever wavered off of he is invincible in battle, and I'm not wavering in this battle. I am going to hold on to the king of glory, and I'm not going to worry about it. I don't care how I feel. I don't care what I think. I don't matter what I see. It doesn't matter what my circumstances are. My earth may be kind of messed up right now, but I know what heaven wants for me, and I believe my God is invincible in battle. And every time my little brain... My little brain like, oh, it might not turn out well. Oh, this might be it. Oh, the doctor might say that. Oh, this might be that. Every time my little brain's going left on it, I've come back to Psalm 24. Lord, you told me who is this king of glory. The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord invincible in battle. And every time I would just keep over and over. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord is invincible in battle. Too miles into it. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord is invincible in battle. Mile three. Who is the king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord is invincible in battle. Mile four where nobody's at. I look to the trees. Who's the king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. I guess the deers and squirrels think I'm an idiot. I don't really care. I'm in a war. I don't care what you think about me. I'm in a war. And my God is invincible in battle. Well, that's what I mean without sounding religious. That's what I mean by you have to go. It is written. And I'm not just talking about flipping through the Bible. Oh, give me something, God. Oh, Judas hung himself. Oh, I don't want that one. Right? I don't want that verse. But I'm not telling you it's magic. I'm telling you it's a war. Open up your scripture. Flip through it. God, talk to me. God, give me something. And when he does... You hold on to it. You don't waver from it. You put your feet in the ground. You stand firm. You put your armor on. And I'm not going to let lust, fear, anxiety, sin, torment, depression, and misery get me off of this thing. I'm going to hold on to you, God. I'm going to trust you, Lord. I'm going to believe you are invincible, God. Now, that is how, watch, that is how my earth begins to become congruent with his heaven. And it doesn't always happen overnight. That's why I have to stand firm. It doesn't always happen next week. That's why I have to not waver. It doesn't always happen next month. That's why I have to learn I'm becoming something. But I'm never going to give up on it. I'm never going to give up on it. I'm going to hold on to it the whole time. Let me pray for you. Thank you so much for joining us on the Believer's Church YouTube channel. If you would like more information about Believer's Church, you can visit mybelieverschurch.com. If there is anything that you need prayer for, please email us at amen at mybelieverschurch.com. 
Be sure to check back next week for a brand new message.